In Temple Emmanuel's weekly Shabbat sermons, Rabbis Wes, Michelle, and Eliza share reflections, wisdom, and teaching to enrich your mind and soul. You can find the video archives and podcast versions on templeemmanuel.com. Shabbat shalom, everyone. It is such a joy to be able to learn together with each of you. Uh, we again want to wish our beloved colleague, Rabbi Wes Gardensports, well in Israel. We heard we got, they got some snow even there. So I uh, hope you got a chance to make some snowballs there in Eretz HaKodesh. And uh, we're going to begin this morning with our prayers, as we always do. I'm grateful Grateful we tried Man, oh man, did we try Well, we're not the most religious here in the Mindy household But um, maybe we, should we say amen? Should we do that? I mean, don't look at me I don't know how to say why you just say amen. I don't I got this. I got it. Dearest Father and Almighty Creator. 
ask for your grace tonight, despite our pride. Your forgiveness, despite our doubt. Most of all, Lord, we ask for your love to soothe us through these dark times. May we face whatever is to come in your divine will with courage and open hearts of acceptance. Amen. Amen. Wow, you've got some church game. That was beautiful. so well that actually the storm didn't happen to be that bad. Look at the wi look at the window. The storm wasn't that bad. We even hear children, you know, chanting and stuff. Anyways, um, it's, it's such a powerful moment. Such a powerful moment in the movie. I love it. When I saw this movie, I said, perfect. It has so many aspects of different things that we can discuss about it. Uh, what we believe is true about the information we get and, you know, and how we reflect at the end of life. Um, I like, I like one part that, oh, by the way, in your teaser for the for the class today, you wrote something that I, I needed to look on the website for the meaning of it. How you describe that young boy with the with the long hair? I don't know the word you use. It's like scrap, scrappy. Anyways, thank you for teaching me a new word. Uh, right, exactly. Uh, it's beautiful. I like, you know, he said this or in spite of our pride. I like that a lot, a lot, because we all have that some point of the or the other in our lives, and we don't believe certain things. So that that was such a powerful, you know, mature uh, reflection before yeah. the end. I, mean, I haven't seen the movie, but it seems like that character would be the least likely to come up with that beautiful hair. But I don't know. But uh, this, this reminded me of two things. Reminded me of. Um, of so much of our high holiday liturgy, you know, that um, that we ask for, we ask for forgiveness, we ask, again, really despite our pride. It, it also reminds me of something like, like what you say, you know, six days a week coming. And you really you reminded me of that, you know, just basically um, exploring our lives and seeing how we can be better. And it's just it's such a beautiful moment. No, I have to say something. I need to clarify something. You know, when I I chatted, you know, I, I sent a text to all of you guys saying, this is a great movie, but I just wanted you to have fun with the movie. Obviously, rabbis in the room decided, oh, there's a great prayer at the end of the movie. I only wrote to you to say, you know, it's a great movie. There are two members of Temple Emmanuel who are actually in the movie. You should see it. And then rabbis say, oh, there is a prayer. Let's use the prayer. For me, one of the most profound parts is actually not the prayer, it's just before the prayer, when there's this moment that they feel like they should be prayerful, and there's this, like, don't look at me, I don't know what to do, and it, it to me, feels like um, a couple of things. One, 
there's something about a prayer practice that has to be regular in order for it to be useful. I remember when I was in, in Mass General, and um, I mean, I chaplaincy and things like that, but I would go, and you, you could really tell the difference between patients who regularly prayed and patients who didn't pray, because when patients had a regular prayer practice, that became a regular accompaniment to their whatever they were going through in the hospital. And for patients who didn't have a regular prayer practice, it, it was something that it, it was really hard to access that in the moment of need. And, and that's something we really see is the character that, that ends up praying. It feels very much like that had been a common part of his life. Like he has the language, he has the ability and the skill, which isn't really a, a skill so much as a muscle, right? Like anybody can walk and walk long distances. It's just a matter of getting your body used to that and or hiking, whatever, whatever is the physical skill. And so to me, it just highlights the importance of regular prayer. It doesn't have to be liturgical. It doesn't have to be like you're going to miss the door, but, but a prayer practice that enables you to speak your heart into prayer. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. And of course, that character is one who grew up in a home where prayer was a, a regular practice. Um, as we kind of close, I want to ask you to pick up on the moment quickly and, and ask you, you know, we so often encounter people who say, you know, I don't, I don't know how to pray. I don't, I don't know what the, the words are. The book uh, doesn't make doesn't make sense to me. Um, how do you encourage those people to find their own not church room, but uh, soul room? Right? How do you how do you help people work that muscle? I have um, two moves for that. One is, for me, so much of prayer is um, is. is Resonance in the physical sense, hearing the sounds of the world, feeling the sounds of the world before go through the actual physical sensation. Um, you know, it's, it's what the music and singing is all about. And um, so, even if, so, if you're in a moment where I don't know what these words mean, I'm not sure that I'm actually here in the prayer. But if I just sit back and close my eyes and listen and feel, then that's a prayer. Then that can be a Highly, highly prayerful moment. So that, that, and that, that's the beginning, and then of course, then you know, Bill says, you know, now, now it's time to go learn. So now, now after you've done that and felt that moment, now we can begin to explore the meanings of the words and how and how the um, the melodies um, uh, coincide with and affect how, how that works. Yeah, I always thought that music transcends the text in general. And you can you can bring somebody to tears with a melody, simple melody, a nigun, without the settle, you know, without without any words, uh, and that sometimes you know that's the best way to to get somebody to pray, even if they are not familiar with the text. Yeah, I mean, in our case, we have such a powerful tool, which is music itself. How many times we experience on Shabbat services or other services, people who have no idea and they come and they don't even open the shiur. And when we are chanting or, or singing something, they close their eyes. They are definitely praying. Mm-hmm. One thing, if you allow me, uh, Rabbi Gardenfurst, I'm sorry, uh, Michelle, today, um, with Master for leaving today, one thing that strikes me the most about the movie, and I'd like to spend time talking about that, is that these are people, except for that um, scrapping, you know, what was the description? Okay, scrapping. All the others are scientists. You know, and not necessarily they look like religious people. Why is it that in the last moments on earth they decide to go to a prayer when obviously prayer didn't talk to them in their whole life? 
that's the second important part of the movie, you know. And I think it's an important question for all of us to be thinking about and considering because as we think about those, that need for a prayer in the last moment, and, and we see it a lot when we go to people's homes who maybe were not big davenants in their life, and they are in that moment where they're leaving this world, and they say, you know, Rabbi wants to pray for us. And, and our tradition offers prayers. I mean, what's one of the things that I would pick up, this character speaks very much in a classic Christian idiom. And yet, as I was watching it, I thought, wow, our, our Jewish tradition <laughs> could say something very similar, too. Like, there, there is a sense that what you pick up, the humility there, help us accept this moment, help us to have courage to face this moment, is really one of the bedrocks of what we look to prayer for. When we don't know how to have courage, prayer can help lift us to courage. And so I want to ask each of you now to reflect on the question, the sort of the Dr. Seuss question, if you've seen the Dr. Seuss uh, such a, uh, poem that, <laughs> that he has. Um, you know, if this were a, a Jewish moment, right, if, if the person in that seat had, had, had grown up in a traditional Jewish home, Right, and the question was, what's the bracha for the end of the world? What would it be? What would the bracha for our final moments be? And we have, amazingly, a huge number of options for what that would be. So I want to look into the texts with you guys a little bit here. And the actor and would be Leonardo Goldman. Yes. <laughs> so, and, and I want to... I want to ask you um, to think about the question of what is the proper bracha for a comet hurtling towards Earth. Um, there's kind of low-lying fruit um, that we actually have a bracha for a comet, it turns out. It's a very funny little piece uh, of, of argument between our rabbis. What bracha should you say for a comet? And that depends if it's a good thing. <laughs> Or a bad thing, right? If you're looking up in the sky and it's really beautiful, then you say one thing. And if it's a little scary, you say something else. And we have a bracha for things that are scary and destructive. That, in particular, is one we'd say, for example, at the eruption of a volcano. And um, so, since we already talked about the idea that we have a hundred blessings that we would try to recite every day, I'm going to ask Elisa, would you be so kind as to read the Shulchan Aruch here? Every one of these one blesses. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who makes the world works of creation. And in Hebrew, it's Osei Ma'asei Hashem. And if one wishes, blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, whose might fills the world. And Right. And these are these are very different kind of an instinct. Um, that could be a possibility for a comet. Um, what would it mean to say, uh, that one who makes the work of creation versus whose might fills the world? What, what sort of, why would you choose one over another, personally? Would you? The first one, I think, is recognizing, you know, exactly what the boy said, you know, about the pride. 
God, you know, sometimes we believe human beings that we are in control and this blessing is for God and us. No, God is the one who, who you know, makes the things and, you know, even when we think that we know everything, it's been by nature to destroy our world. And that's being like accepting, you know, that we are humble. always felt sort of challenged by the, the brachot that you say when you experience X because it, it, it I sort of resent tradition uh, requiring a certain reaction. I, I do. I want to I, I want to see a, a bracha that inspires people to like be honest about their feelings and like put into words and I think this is the place you're talking about what would happen if it was a Leonardo Goldman. Um, I don't know. I think that in some ways we as Jews have stunted prayer writing, prayer creating abilities because we're so used to going through the books to find the bracha that tells us how to mediate our experience that I actually feel like we're, we're missing, we, we, haven't, we have an underdeveloped prayer creation muscle. I think, I think that it's, it's, you know, how many times we've seen in movies and how many times in real life we heard about testimonies about people in Kiddush uh, Hashem and things like that. They say the Shema. That's the prayer that everybody goes to. That's a go-to prayer. Yeah, so Elias, could you read us in the next source, which is Rachel 61a? We're not going to spend too much time there because it's a pretty gruesome story. But this is the root of the, that actually the bracha you should say right before you die is perhaps the Shema. So the Gemara relates, when they took Rabbi Akiva out to be executed, it was time for the recitation of Shema. And they were raking his flesh with iron tongs, and he was reciting Shema, thereby accepting upon himself the yoke of heaven. The students said to him, Our teacher, even now, as you suffer, you recite Shema. He said to them, All my days I have been troubled by the verse, with all your soul, meaning, even if God takes your soul. I said to myself, when will the opportunity be afforded to me to fulfill this verse? Now that it has been afforded, but I not fulfill it, he prolonged his uttering of the word, one, until his soul left his body as he uttered his final word, one, a voice descended from heaven and said, Happy are you, Rabbi Akiva, that your soul left your body as he uttered his one. We've got a very nice God today. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually, this is, a, this is one of my all-time favorite pieces of Talmud because in some ways, Akiva, it's not about the gruesomeness of what's happening here. It's about what does it mean to say before my Shema? What does it mean that every day of my life, I thought I was living according to one particular idea or ideal that I held as my utmost ideal, um, for Rabbi Akiva, of course, that God is is one. That God, that, that what he has created, this life too, is what matters. And and here he is in this moment, and he gets to affirm for himself. He gets this confirmation. Yes, everything I thought I believed, I believe, and I can fill this out. And in that way, this prayer, this Shema for Rabbi Akiva, is all about affirming the power of what he has devoted his life to. The question is, for the rest of us, if you say the Shema as your final words, what does it mean for us, the generations that follow Rabbi Akiva? 
So I, want, I just want to just you know, backtrack a little bit to talk about um, your first question about the um, would the prayer be different uh, by that character. Uh, and I was actually really interested in the fact that you said that it sort of felt very Christian, because to me it, 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 felt, it felt as Jewish as possible. Um, I didn't really, you know, uh, I didn't really, you know, that everything that you said is something that really happened as it was you. And it, it's, it, all, it all felt right and it all felt like, you know, it, it did not. It did not. Um, so that's something. And then thinking about the, the two Brasovians just on the list, um, I think that one complements the other. Yeah. So, you know, my favorite you know, is to say, you know, God created everything. And so, therefore, uh, you know, in logical terms, God's power is in everything. So, so I think that the two brachot actually uh, complement each other. Um, affirming the Shema, how can we do that on a daily basis? Not, not how, but meaning, but Rabbi Akiva, yeah. the Shema, as you say it, right, is, is actually all about hey, I believe this stuff, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. This, this is really who I am. And what a, what a joy, what a gift to be able to end my life knowing that I really believe what I thought I believed, mm-hmm. right? Um, if you interpret it the way that I've been interpreting it. Um, and, and if that's the case, right, we now have this tradition that emerges from it. Okay, you know, you don't know all the words. There's one thing you do know. Right? Every kid, when you start, you know, this big, you're going to learn the Shema. If you emerge from Hebrew school learning nothing else, you will have the Shema. So it's a great go-to final prayer for the end of our life. But my question is, right, what does it then mean for us? If, Dan, when we choose which blessing we're going to say on a comet, we get to kind of do a little of what Eliza is hoping for within a small frame, of being able to say, what's my reaction to this? What's, what do future generations get out of the Shema on our death? Would like me to speak for future generations? <laughs> I mean, I think there's an interesting Shema itself is a just an, an interesting prayer because we have so many ways of saying, you know, we have the morning way of covering your eyes and we have the Torah way of proudly proclaiming standing upright and, and, you know, if you go to reform communities, I know that, that I, I used to work in a community in the Berkshires and that their former rabbi had used to talk about this, the watchword of the Jewish people. Like, there's there's all these different ways of saying And then there's also the bedtime shema of, you know, quietly in bed um, asking for beds. What do you say? Yeah. Yeah. So there's all these flavors, Shema, and in, in that way, I do like Shema because it feels like so much more than the text. It feels like the words are a vessel for a personal experience in a way because it also it's so inscrutable that that the words can carry so much more meaning in a way that I feel like a, a particular specific bracha sometimes loses that capacity. That the words of the Shema can extend meaning for you in a way that helps you expand to whatever meaning you want. Okay. I, I would say that, yeah. <clears throat> I like that. You know, sorry. You know, it's like, in a way, it's like thinking about the Beatles. When you say the Beatles, you think about the band. You don't think about the meaning of the Beatles. <laughs> so it's, it transcends the name. I mean, Rolling Stones. You are like Stones <laughs> Rolling. No, you, you, you think about the band. So I, yeah, I like that. <laughs> I, 
I find it so interesting because, you know, so much of the, of the Shema is so God-centered. And one of the things you see around that table, and one of the things I think we experience with so many people we speak to in the modern world, is that God-centered doesn't always speak to the, the intellectual piece of many of our members and many of the people we encounter in the world at large, particularly post-Holocaust. I mean, you've said it in this space, Elias, you know, God, 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 God is challenging, and yet pick the Shema. The Shema is entirely all about God, and at that final moment of, of life, in, in much the way the movie turns to God, to answer into this void, to answer into this space in a search for the courage to be able to help us find a anchor in, in the experience that we're going through. So, so what are some the, other possibilities? I was thinking about um, the, one of the readings of the Shema is the sense of the interconnectivity of everything. And so I would ask you guys... So you're going to be expansive with Ahad, one. So I'm thinking about that, and also, and then I'm saying, okay, so so maybe this, I'm thinking the Shulchan Aruch, the both both these brachot and brachot 61, are interconnected, because if God is, as Einstein said, the the interconnection, the unity between time, space, and energy, which is what he said, uh, you know, when, when he finished his general theory of relativity, and people have seen this. He, he wrote at the end of it, he wrote God, the intersection. So um, so that intersection, therefore, is that since God is that intersection of everything and the source of everything, then, therefore, um, uh, God's might and uh, God's um, presence uh, 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 and God's ma'asebereshit is all interconnected. So when we reflect on the Shema, if we're reflecting as Rabbi Kiva, if we're reflecting on the Echad, right, then um, that, that one moment, I think, is really just, when, when we do that, if we actually take a step back or into ourselves or out of ourselves all at the same time, what we're finding is relating, relating the intercon- interconnectivity of, of everything, of all beings, of all forms of life, whether uh, and all forms of um, things that even that are not, that are inorganic as well. Mm. Wow. Amazing. Um, so I, I want to pose and look at, in the time we have left, uh, two other possible models, right? One of which is, well, maybe there's an, another prayer, another sentiment we want to express that doesn't so much come in a Baruch Atah Adonai format, blessed are you, O Lord our God, but instead might speak to that second part of the prayer that I need the courage to make it through this moment. And then the second mode that we're going to look at is, uh, oh, you know, I, I'm sorry, Elias, I'm a rabbi, so i got to do three. Um, <laughs> so the, a rabbi in a room full of campers. So uh, the second mode would be repentance. And that, yes, you, you yes. I'm putting you on cancer today. Um, so we need your cancer skills. Um, so the, the rabbi, uh, the rabbinic sense of the Talmudic, background of Shiva, and you mentioned it earlier, like, what do we do in Takanun? We repent, and maybe at the end of our life, what we're really doing, and it's the beginning of the piece that he starts with, right? Forgive us, right? We actually have gotten this wrong here, 
and, and that perhaps the end of our life, the end of our world, is a moment for repentance. And then the third possibility is the one that Elisa alluded to a little bit earlier and made me put in five pages of text from yes, others, <laughs> uh, which is the, the personal question, right? Like maybe there is no one prayer for the end of the world or the end of your life. Three more times, exactly. I didn't necessarily need to go into detail. I just wanted to share the expansiveness of our tradition. Yes, and we so are expansive. So I want to talk about I don't, know, I, don't, I don't know if you want to, can you tell me if you are planning to go over one Please, now. Exactly. Okay. Because um, this, I love this verse. I love these two lines of Aaron Olam. Um, I've been singing for more than three decades this, this prayer, you know, every single Shabbat. And I always thought that it was because Kiddush comes up after that. And I'm, I was hungry, usually after two and a half hours of service. So I said, oh my God, Kiddush, that's the end. There goes, excellent Kiddush. Anyways, <laughs> but no, actually, in a serious sense, I love this thing. For, for some reason that I cannot explain, perhaps, Rabbi, you can help me. Now you're Rabbi, not a counter. It gives me, you know, it, 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 it gives me calm. Calm. After gathering two and a half hours, in a way, when you immerse into Tila a lot, you feel like, okay, now I have to go to the world, and it's a little scary. But this phrase lingers, you know, in me. And, and I love it. Can you explain to me why? But I love it. I love it. I don't know. I don't know. It's like I feel better if it is what I'm in God's hand. You know, and in trouble, possibly he, she, or it will help me. So, or they, you know. So right. there, there is that sense in which all of us are reaching for some sense that we can have courage and strength in our lives, um, even when we don't know what will be. And um, I love how how this final verse. And I think it makes a great suggestion, a great possibility for what we might say at, at the end of, of the world. Anna Bacholach, too, is, is here, you know, we beg you with, with the strength, help us, you know, hear us, be with us. Um, you know, that's a mode that um, Bella Kirshner speaks about when he speaks about that God that, you know, doesn't necessarily act to prevent bad things from happening, but can be there with you when you're enduring um, Dan, do you have anything that you would want to add on that? Yeah, I, I, I was thinking, like, you know, we have so many of the melodies that go along are, you just so sing along that you don't even think about the text. But I was thinking, and Elias, you probably remember this, you know, the um, Ernest, Ernest Bloch's sacred service. And you think about his setting up of the line. It is such a mystical, mysterious moment in that night when when the people he he paints this this text in a way that brings it brings the message home. So I think that's why you should go back and listen to that. Yeah, right. And you know this song. I mean, as you said, it's so many beautiful melodies, but specifically David Friedman wrote a setting for these two lines. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, gorgeous, and he, mm -hmm. he highlighted these two lines only. So, and, and so one, I don't know, who put this together? You, Alisa, you did it? Michelle, mm -hmm. so one thing that is missing here, that is another Torah that we can spend more time talking to David, is the Shema Kolein that we say in High Hollywood. That, I could think about that also being a prayer mm -hmm. that perhaps, you know, 
and this is a change we've been seeing. Beautiful, beautiful. Um, as you say every day. Right, and, and this, this container that we have of possible options to say, you know, maybe we could treat this like a mantra in the sense of when I'm looking for comfort, when I'm looking for hope, these short words can, can be that go-to, perhaps. Um, all right, so let's look at the chuva model. Let's, let's look at the idea of really when you get to the end of your life or the end of the world, that the move is forgive us, forgive us. And I only included this little piece from Pirkei Avot, um, Rabbi Elias, it says, repent one day before your death. Of course, that continues on to say, well, who knows what one day before your death is. And therefore, the wisdom is given over that therefore you should repent every day because you never know what will be your final hour. And we have a similar, at the end of life, we have a voodoo prayer. It's quite long. Um, Can I ask you really quickly, do you think that in the movie there's a song? So I think that that's a much longer question. <laughs> but that question of like, we tried, boy, we tried to me somewhere spiritual. Like, how does that follow? Like, we tried and we failed. How do we feel Yeah, and, and I think, you know, the beginning part of his prayer certainly speaks to that sense of needing some sense of humility and, and forgiveness that, that we, should, we didn't get it. Um, to be flip about it, Joni Mitchell says, you know, don't it always seem to go? You don't know what it's got. You've got until it's gone. I just to say something. I don't know if it's very common here in the tradition in America, but when I grew up in Argentina and when I was doing a lot of funerals at the cemetery, it was mostly done by the Orthodox leaning of Argentina. So we had to, even if I was a conservative Hassan, I needed to follow that. So one prayer that was always very powerful for me was that before we get into the gravesite, I, on behalf of everybody there, we put a casket and we had what is called Mashiva. And, you know, you ask for forgiveness if anybody of the people who are there offended this person, they ask for forgiveness. And it's such a beautiful thing, and, and that is kind of the truth at the center. You know, it's such a end of life. Yeah, so powerful. And in fact, in our in our full voodoo ritual, you would actually include the entirety of the shaman, all of all of that um, that we say on, on Yom Kippur um, to ask for forgiveness. What do you guys think about that forgiveness model at, at the end of life or at, at the conclusion of our experience in this world? I think if we, if we, all, if we all believe that we have a soul and that the soul can't die, that the soul needs to feel I think there's something else going on here as well in the sense that we often will have a sense of pain coming from others about the world around us and sometimes that can be from ourselves as well. Sometimes there are legitimate things that we could feel um, remorseful for because we're trying to help. But I think that there's also some limit to at the end of your life on your deathbed, you're actually reciting Vidu. It's most often not a time where you can cognitively grasp all the things that are in a Vidu. And so that 
feels like a catch-all for all of these emotions that are swirling to give us a place to channel them. Um, and then the thing that you talked about tomorrow is being a bigger, being bigger than those words. Um, that moment feels bigger than those words. And, and, and I think part of the reason I wanted, and I, I, I determined that every single bit of Texas <laughs> 17 I would make it in there was because I wanted to share like sort of the the ways in which that theme sort of pervades all of these spontaneous free flow prayers that that each of these prayers has an aspect of I have been a failure we are failures there are reasons that we're failures there are reasons that we have failed um, God we are trying but we're failing like and and I think that I would dream of a world in which our free flow prayer could have more um, more heart and more connectivity and less guilt and less shame. Yeah, and so answering your question, uh, my take on this is that obviously every every year in Yom Kippur we, we pray that you know we have the strength to ask for forgiveness. If we hurt somebody, we have to go to that person and ask for forgiveness and freely repent. So in a way. Our tradition is not saying, don't wait until your last breath for people to talk about to ask for forgiveness. You should do it throughout your life. Perhaps at the end of life, we can say, and yes, obviously, is that I try. I try to do this in a better way, in a Buddha, but that is a different forgiveness. That's something I know that we do something wrong. What I love about the prayer from Don't Wake Up is it contains all three of these aspects, right? It contains the, I, I tried. It contains the uh, forgiveness, the request for forgiveness that's desperately needed because we were arrogant. Um, we didn't see what what needed to be seen. And it also contains at the end that, that sense of, but what we really need in this moment is courage. And what we really need in this moment is love, right? And and Louisa, I want to pick up on a point that you said because sometimes, like when we do or say we do, I'm a little uncomfortable about saying to the person who is leaving this world, you know, your your number one priority is to make sure that all those bad things you did are are put forth. And yet, you know, I was just at a brewery where we did the full. The full thing, and and as we did it, I found that there was some profound comfort in kind of giving it over. And, and this person, by the way, I mean, dementious, nicest, most amazing human. I, I mean, none of I, I can't imagine, um, you know, any of those things other than that we all have things. Um, but but this sense of if you kind of articulate that need, help you let go of of anything. Does it help the community? I love that prayer for Mashila, right? Just help the, the community around say, you're leaving without any any unfinished work left behind. Right? Even if it's interrupted and you literally have a lot of unfinished work, that somehow in the, the process of forgiveness, that we are able to clear the way. Are we able to clear the way in that way? And so I, I want to just conclude by asking you all, um, you know, God willing, we'll never need a prayer for the end of the world, <laughs> right? But based on these models that we have explored today, right, is there one that, that speaks to you more than another? 
And if so, what would that reflect back to you based on the Pure Care book that repent one day before you die? And by the way, you don't know, so you got to do it today. God say to you about how you live. try to live my life in the same way that I that, that I want to live, which is, for the most part, I'm a person who I'm grateful for what I have. So when, when I go to Japan, when I'm praying here, when I have our services, we do the same thing, the quality food. But in general, I think about the blessings that I have in my life. And I'm really grateful for them. So hopefully, you know, at the end of my life, I will pray and look around and say, yeah, Thank you, God, for all that you gave me and what I was able to accomplish, and I'm really grateful. And also recognizing this, you know, that God has given me everything and that I have been humble. And, and also asking for, for forgiveness in terms of, again, trying to say, you know, I did the best I could. I think I'm reflect on so much that I can do and could have done better. And it would be awesome if I could, you know, go back to square one and fix that thing. Um, this is a One of the things that has been sort of a silver lining of the past couple of months is that Salma and I have renewed uh, a practice that uh, Pastor Jeremy Battle um, had us do in our premarital counseling, which is spontaneous, uh, extemporaneous prayer, um, which our first prayer resulted in Solomon praying, Dear God, please make Louisa stop making me do this. Um, but <laughs> it's evolved into <laughs> a very beautiful practice that that we're actually reflecting for the week that it's been really special for both of us and it's been a process of evolving language and um, creating God language that works for both of us and um, there's a way that we've been able to connect in our in our prayers that, that didn't happen just in talking about the challenges that, that we're facing and, um, and I, I think I, that's a practice that I'm really delving into deeply and has been deeply meaningful and, and I look forward to continuing that. Thank you. I would say it's, it's for my reflections. Um, for me, I would say that what was so powerful for me was actually the moment that you picked up in this, in this trip, the moment before the trip, where people around the table felt so lost, so so much need and so unable to figure out how to grapple towards something that could be possible in that moment. And they turned to each other. And so to me, the traditional frames giving us these options of these possible prayers and saying, here, you can do this, is extraordinarily helpful for us. But the other thing that's extraordinarily helpful is knowing that there's actually not just one, right? We've got the Shema. We've got the Vijayu. We've got Adonai. We've got Anabah. 
offers that macaroni. We've got so much in our repertoire, and we've got a tradition of looking out and praying from our hearts as well. And so I would say to all of you who are joining us here that the most important thing is that you look for a prayer that speaks to you and your heart, that you hold uh, a reflection that the prayers of our tradition are there for us only at the end of our lives, but every day to help give us that courage that we need to face not only the end, but the beginning of every day. Thank you guys for joining us today. Shalom. 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 Shal